Hey everybody, this is Jeremiah Craig and welcome to another episode of Ask the Bootmaker. Today, we have Morgan Buckert, who is an custom bootmaker in Idaho. So this is going to be a blast. I'm so excited to bring Morgan in here and get this conversation going. So let's bring her in. She's in the waiting room right now on this Zoom call. This is going to be a blast. You ready? You ready? Let's go. Hello, Morgan. How's it going? Good morning. I'm awesome. How are you? Great. Thank you so much. And thanks for spending the time with me today. Uh, this is going to be so much fun. I really appreciate you uh, uh, being on the episode. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped to be here and, and spread the gospel of custom footwear. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so can you get us started uh, by sort of explaining how you got into custom boots? Sure. It's kind of a long roundabout story, which I think most people have a similar story. Well, a similar in the way that it's roundabout. I am seventh generation Texan. My family uh, came to Texas, got off the boat and didn't move. I grew up in a ranching family and saw custom gear, custom footwear, custom saddles, tack, everything. And it's just something that you kind of grow up with when you grow up in ranch life. And so I've always been obsessed with cowboy boots. Um, the family that my parents work for have a connection to Charlie Dunn and Lee Miller at Texas Traditions. And so my parents had custom boots from Lee Miller when I was probably four or five. And I remember them being so spectacular and they still are spectacular. And um, it, I've always been interested in cowboy boots. So I got my first pair my own custom cowboy boots when I graduated from high school. That was my present from my parents from Letty's and I still wear those. And, you know, I went to college, I moved west, I lived in New Mexico, I live in Idaho, where I've lived for 15 years, and was a fishing guide for many years. And during the recession, I found myself with a lot of free time. And so I kind of retreated back to my upbringing and started sewing a lot. I come from a really creative family. My both of my parents are extremely creative. My mom is a master seamstress and cook and an engineer and my father is a really great welder and that's they're both super creative my uh one of my grandfathers was a machinist the other was an engineer and you know just I come from creativity on on all sides of my family and so I grew up doing a lot of things so during the recession I was sewing a lot and I started working with leather and really loved working with leather because you kind of got one shot and it added several levels of difficulty. And I had the opportunity to go to Penland School of Crafts in North Carolina and to study shoemaking. I'm like, this might be my jam. And immediately I was like, this is exactly what I love. It's math, it's science, it's creativity, it's manual labor. It's kind of everything rolled into one and you're creating a tangible product at the end of the day. And it just felt really good. It made my brain feel good. It made my body feel good. And that was about seven years ago. I went back to Penland again to study shoemaking with Jessica Brommer, who's a great shoemaker in Santa Fe. And since then I've studied with Seth Tykert, who lives in Mackey, Idaho, which is about as far from civilization as you can get in the 
in the best way possible. They live in the tallest mountain range in Idaho. And in this year I had, uh, no, in central Idaho. It's, okay. um, I live, I also live in central Idaho and I drive over a dirt pass through a mountain range to get to their mountain range. And Beautiful. the view from the boot shop is all of these 12,000 foot peaks. And there's not a better view at any boot shop in the world. So that's gotta be so inspiring. Yeah, it, um, yeah, their shop is beautiful. A lot of the time that I'm there is in the winter because that's when they're slower, they're ranchers. And it often is not above zero when I'm at their house. So boot making is great because you don't have to go outside. So (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny being there. And that's this year I had several trips lined up to study with a few different boot makers and, you know, 2020. So yep. hopefully next year I'll get to do some more education. Uh, but I definitely consider myself a beginner and have a lifetime of learning ahead of me. So even after doing it for seven years already, you still consider yourself oh, a beginner? Oh yeah. Well, I think if you talk to any anyone who's been making boots like, you know, Lee Miller or Lisa Sorrell or Mr. Smitty or Mr. Cricket, like they're you know they've been doing it for decades and they still feel like they have more to learn and that's Mm -hmm. something else that attracts me i played golf for many years which is something that there's always a way to improve i was a fly fishing guide for many years and there's always a way to improve and that's just something that i'm really drawn to so i hope when i'm 80 i have a lot more to learn about boot making (laughs) yes and it sounds like you're continuing your education all the time around the nation, going from uh, the Carolinas to New Mexico. And it seems like your experience has not only in traveling to learn, but also in your different uh, interests. Like you said, fly fishing. You also have your master's degree in history, correct? <laughs> yes, I do. I, <laughs> I, um, My life is very different than I had planned, as all of ours are, and I uh, went to University of Texas at Austin for undergrad and majored in government history and went to University of New Mexico in Albuquerque and have my master's in U.S. Western history, and I am interested in a variety of things in in the American West, and I think boots really fit into that category and how we choose to portray ourselves as Westerners or as cowboys and and why that happens in America and and why um, it's it's part of our our lives 150 years after cattle drives ended. Mm-hmm. Now I remember when we were talking on the phone about a week or so ago, you mentioned that the majority of the history and the things that we think about when it comes to uh, cowboys, cattle drives, and cowboy boots only happened within a couple of decades in history. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so if you asked anyone on the street, I don't know, in Tokyo or Kazakhstan or anywhere in the world, when you say America, they think of a cowboy. They think of someone wearing hats and boots and spurs and chinks maybe and the whole getup. And 
cattle drives existed kind of post-Civil War for probably 20 to 30 years to get cattle from kind of Mexico and the southern U.S., especially in the Texas and the West, up to the railroads kind of in Kansas and further north or move cattle up to uh, northern summer ranges. And that period of time was so short. And that is still how most people dress as a Westerner. That's how most people work cattle and ranch. If you look at, there's these huge ranches in Russia now, and the people working on those ranches are wearing um, fire retardant suits like you might see in the oil field and using four wheelers or side-by-sides or helicopters instead of horses. And so we don't need to be a cowboy, to be a rancher now. And we especially don't need a cowboy to go to our office. But uh, you sent me this great article about LBJ and his portrayal of, of the mythical cowboy. And it's a way for us to say that we believe in freedom of the outdoors. It's a way to say that we're strong. It's a way to uh, express ourselves in believing in, oh, I'm trying to think of, of what I, what I want to say, but it, it, it's freedom, it's self-expression, it's maybe a little libertarianism, and it's powerful, and we all choose to dress this way because we want to portray ourselves to others in that way, and I believe in that. Uh, and I think that you would see that in a lot of places. I worked in the Texas legislature in college and you see a lot of cowboy boots walking down the hall and you wouldn't see that. Um, I think I mentioned to you, uh, LBJ was kind of the first person to popularize wearing cowboy boots with a suit and wearing cowboy boots in public places, not just workwear. And it's a way to show your power. And if you've ever worn cowboy boots walking down the street, they are loud. Uh, you know, they sound loud, they look loud and people notice you and pay attention to you. And I think you get garner a little respect by wearing cowboy boots. Without a doubt. And that must come into your thought process when you're making boots. I, I believe you said that you like more wild, loud designs when making uh, a custom pair of boots. Uh, does that sort of enter your thought process? Is the history and how they have so much attention grabbing features to them with their sound, their looks, their uh, long lasting quality? Absolutely. I think it's uh, Lisa Sorrell says that wearing cowboy boots is like wearing lingerie and everyone doesn't get to see what's on them but you know it's there and the people who need to know what's there is also there and <laughs> um i kind of like the sexiness of of hiding that if you want or displaying it for the world i am really attracted to post-war vintage designs kind of you know movie era and off the shelf like acme boots that are really colorful lots of inlay overlay i i think that cowboy boots are the best accessory to display who you truly are i finished a 
pair of boots, I don't know, maybe last month that have uh, Indian paintbrush and Black Eyed Susans on them for a friend of mine who lives in California. But she's from Idaho and she, her husband's in the military and so they travel a lot and have lived a, a, a number of places and she chose those flowers because it reminded her of home and um, so she'll have those wherever she goes. And the next pair of boots I'll be working on will have a lot of Idaho components for someone who is part-time in Idaho and part-time on the East Coast. And uh, it's, a, it's a truly personal expression of what you love and what you believe in. So yeah, the opportunities are endless and I love that. <laughs> Love it. So true. And speaking of the boots post-war and maybe the ones that are in Hollywood, we just had a question come through from YouTube user USA here uh, who asks, what is the best pair of cowboy boots to appear in a movie for you? Do you have oh, a specific pair? I don't know that I could answer that question, but you know, anything um, Dale Evans might wear Tom Mix was kind of the first person to to appear in some wild boots. I well, I guess let me retract that a little bit. I love Nudie Con, uh, Rodeo Taylor in Los Angeles. I have a nudie shirt, and <laughs> uh, I love like the whole getup, <laughs> um, and that's. That's something that's coming back, and I love that. Um, you know, Old Town Road last year with Lil Nas X. Yes. Uh, Diplo, we're starting to see a lot of rappers and DJs and this, what we would normally think of as an urban culture, really trending towards this really wild Hollywood Western aesthetic. Yes. And I love that we're in that period and you would never think that, I don't know, I mean, Elvis wore nudie. You would never think that something that Elvis wore would be cool again 50 years later. No and doubt. super awesome. <laughs> Even on the international stage too. I mean, uh, K-pop stars, uh, yep. Japanese artists, they're all really getting into cowboy boots. And I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Well, and you see, you know, everything is cyclical. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever had a new idea. And we were due. I feel like the last really big rise in Western... Western wear and popular culture was kind of, you know, I would say like 1980 with Urban Cowboy. And I'm sure some bootmakers who've been making boots for 30 or 40 years could talk more about that. But, you know, it, it does this. Um, I think there was a little bump when George W. Bush was elected president, maybe. Um, yep. And, you know, of course, Ronald Reagan aligns with uh, the urban cowboy time period. And so maybe it's a little bit of our desire for Americans desire for, for freedom and, you know, self-expression. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it is cyclical. So when, when we I'm were talking we're about right that, yeah. Right. When we were talking about that on the phone and you had told me about, uh, Linda B. Johnson being the first president to popularize cowboy boots with suits and formal wear, I sort of went down this rabbit hole. And that's when I sent you that little study that I found. But I also yeah. found an article by the New York Times in 2001, who 
uh, also recognized that when Bushes were president, there was a little uh, uptick in sales of cowboy boots, and they actually call it the Bush bump. Um, mm-hmm. They said that it can't be confirmed because you know the data wasn't there. But it was interesting to hear from some of the experts in the industry and how they noticed that too. Absolutely. I actually went to the inauguration in 2001 and wow. it was hilarious because I I wore boots with my formal wear, but I'm from Texas and that's what you do in Texas. And, you know, riding the subway in downtown DC, there's all these people who bought you know, weird cowboy boots to with their suits tucked in. And you could see that this was not their native dress and <laughs> they were doing it to come to the inauguration and it was weird and uh, really noticeable. So yes, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> we all start someplace. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so with you, Um, sort of bouncing around on different sorts of uh, expertises between history and uh, fly fishing and traveling all over the place. I want to sort of touch on each one of those. And we already touched on uh, your influence in history on cowboy boots. And now I want to sort of pivot and talk about what experiences did you garner from being a fly fisher guide? And how do you bring in that into your custom cowboy boot business? Totally. Um, interesting question. I think that the closest way I could relate those two things is uh, probably adaptability, being willing to always learn something, to improve in different ways, to look for holes to fill, and problem solving and that kind of stuff. And I think that gender is something that I didn't consider in either being becoming a, a fly fishing guide or becoming a boot maker. It never occurred to me that either of those were traditionally male dominated fields. Mm-hmm. And I think because of my upbringing, I come from a family of strong women and men who support strong women. And I think because of that, I've never felt like I couldn't do something as a woman. And it, you know, it never crossed my mind. And I had you know, some difficult experiences as a fly fishing guide being a woman, people who didn't think that I was qualified, which didn't make any sense to me. And when I started making shoes, I didn't know that it was traditionally male. And I haven't had the experiences that I had as a fly fishing guide, as a bootmaker. I, this community, are a group of wildly brilliant people. And especially in the last five years, I would say, have become really open with sharing information and have been super welcoming to me. I felt very comfortable uh, with everyone I've interacted with. And I, I really love that about the, about the bootmaking community. Um, even though I am in the minority. But as I'm sure you're seeing and, and people who are into custom boots are seeing, there are a growing number of women building boots. And um, I think Dina McGuffin says the only difference uh, between, there's only one difference between a, a male boot maker and a female boot maker. And I don't think you use it to make boots. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh 
I, <laughs> I love that quote from her. And yeah, there's, you know, a couple of little physical challenges. My mentor is six, two, six, three, six, four. So he's, six, eight inches taller than me. And so we have to physically do things a little differently because of our difference in size, but I haven't found any problems in doing those things. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of a roundabout answer to your question. No, that was perfect. That's kind of a roundabout (laughs) how my life goes, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear that, uh, the industry isn't giving you any problems. I not at all have found that uh, it seems to me, at least, uh, it's a lot easier for me to find guests for this show who are female rather than the male bootmakers. So it's oh, like a 50-50 for me. And I don't oh, know why awesome. that is. I, I've, I've tried to think about it, but it seems like the female bootmakers are much more uh, open to responding to, you know, being on something like this, which is a little bit new. And I think that there is an area in the cowboy boot industry that thinks very traditionally because it does have a very traditional history. So I think uh, a lot of times, especially with uh, cowboy boot companies, they have a hard time catching up. And it seems to me like the, 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 companies or the bootmakers that are female are more open to those. Uh, but that's just like uh, my first impression here after a year almost of, of doing this. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, you know, I think that one reason I can think of why women might, might be more open to joining you is a lot of the women I know who are making boots have a background in art and this is a really important part of being an artist is sharing what you do and why you do it. That's why we're creating art. And a lot of bootmakers think of themselves as just a tradesperson, and it is a skilled trade. And I, that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it, but it is also being an artist. And uh, I think that a lot of these women or or men with art backgrounds might make a difference and see see this as being an important part of our work. Love it. Yeah, I, I can completely understand that. So um, to, speaking on the art uh, aspect of it, uh, you have, like we said before, uh, a love of wild designs. And we had a comment from Neil earlier on in this live stream. Uh, about the shafts on the boot in the thumbnail for this. I believe it was the uh, the sort of... Uh, Is that the mountain range? The mountain range, yes. Yeah. Can you give those, us a, yeah, the background on those boots? Yeah, so those are my husband's boots. Uh, and we live in Sun Valley, Idaho, which is a ski resort town, uh, year-round resort town. And he is a really passionate backcountry skier. And... Those are the Lost River range kind of reduced. And those are some of his favorite ski couars included on there. And so the Lost River is one of our favorite rivers to fish. And we both used to guide on that river. And then he has skied a lot of peaks in that range. And so 
he designed those. That's what he wanted to do. And he is a very intricate person. He, he's also super creative. His creativity is mostly expressed through fly tying and he does these super detailed flies. He tied me a salmon fly one time that took him like 10 hours. Uh, detail is his thing. And so he drew me this detail range with every, you know, ridge rock on it. And I'm like, Patty, I can't do that. And scrolling through Instagram one day, I happened to see, I think it was, um, Paris Fashion Week and Hermes had had their, I guess it was men's fashion week and Hermes had had their men's show. And there was this handbag that this man was carrying in the fashion show with mountains and a scene on it. And I was like, Patty, this is what you need to use as your example as you're designing these boots. And so he's like, oh, got it. And so he kind of revised his design a little bit and we got it down to seven colors from, I don't know, 15 or something and <laughs> made him those boots. And he broke his ankle last year, so he hasn't worn them in a while, but it's been just over a year. So I'm hoping he can get back into them soon, so. Yeah, love it. Uh, and another thing that's so wild, and uh, no one would ever know he's wearing them unless he pulled up his pants. So, <laughs> yep, <laughs> just like you were talking about before, it's like the the lingerie of it all. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so, do you have that uh, process with a lot of your clients where they come to you with a design, and you sort of work with them to either make it more extravagant or uh, bring it down a little bit so it's a little bit uh, easier to work with or a little bit more uh, acceptable to work with as far as the boot being the canvas? All of the above. I am finishing a pair tomorrow that has a logo on it of, of a friend of mine who owns a, a restaurant and some hotels and that has her logo and so not much in the design process there chose some colors uh, chose leather good to go uh the pair before that had these wildflowers on it and it was back and forth for a couple months to decide what we needed to do and oh there's some white space here so do we want to fill this or you know alter the flower to fill that white space or whatever and uh, my next pair are going to have a lot of different elements and I anticipate that taking a few weeks to go back and forth through that process and it's really interesting because though I feel like I'm a super creative person I am not a drawer or a painter and so I draw these really like kindergarten sketches and I'm like oh here's your boots and I have to imagine that they're like oh my god what am I doing but <laughs> I feel like it comes out in leather and mm -hmm. maybe the color one well, stitching allows all of these things to create something lovely but the drawing part is always a little terrifying and weird and I feel inadequate but I know I'll get better and it's something that I practice and <laughs> we'll get there someday maybe when I'm 80. <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> speaking of the leather uh, while you're making the boots just had a, a, a question come through from uh, Walt on the live stream uh, and he asked <laughs> hi Walt <laughs> do you have a favorite type of leather to make boots from um I, I do. I love Garland Newman's cow calf 
I it crimps really well it skives really easily it's extremely durable my dad is a ranch foreman and is still a working cowboy and his boots from me are work boots and he's in south texas on the gulf coast and so it is always wet there every day of the year and he loves the cow calf because it's really durable in work conditions and i love the cow calf on a pair of boots of mine because i it doesn't scuff very easily it's super durable and it looks great it polishes up nicely and that's i think it can be a work boot or a dress boot and i really love it but i love um i'm, I'm working with some softy buffalo right now and that's great and I like kangaroo and that's, I'm hoping to get into some more exotics next year. It's something that, you know, takes an investment investment to, to dabble with, to learn how to use it. And so I needed to make investments in some other categories of my learning this year. So hopefully next year, I'd love to make some alligator boots for myself. I'm, I'm nice. seeing that coming on my next year vision board. <laughs> Speaking of the leathers, uh, how about leather colors? Omar just asked, what is your favorite colors to work with? Oh, I love, I, oh, that is a terrible question. How are you supposed it's to tough, answer right? that? It's um, tough, right? <laughs> my favorite color is red. I don't know if that's an answer. I really love um, the cognac family. I think nice. that it ages really nicely whether it's darkened with some dirt um, or soaked up some stains or whatever. I think that cognac is a really nice choice. I think that if someone's getting a custom pair of boots, their first pair should be either black or a, a neutral brown. And then you can expand from there. I, it's just easy and it's a good, I remember reading when I got my first pair of custom boots in some book or something to get a neutral so that you learn what you like. And maybe on your second, third or fourth pair, you can go extra crazy. Um, I'm really loving navy right now too, but I love navy kind of in everything in my life right now. And I think it's maybe just because it's trendy, but it also seems super classy. So um, I think it's a new neutral. Yeah, I think so too. It goes with so many different things. And totally. one of the hard things that I've noticed while wearing boots is matching leathers. Like that's sort of been my uh, pet peeve when it comes to it. Like I'm not going to wear a brown belt with black boots. I just can't mm -hmm. do it. Physically, mm -hmm. it just drives me nuts. But when you have a color like navy, I feel like you could wear a brown belt or a black belt if you don't have that uh, blue to match it. It's just one totally. of those colors, like maybe the black cherry at the same time that just goes with a lot of stuff. Totally. You just need more accessories to match all of your boots. Is what Tell me need. about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, I feel like part of my, my journey has been, I love accessories. I'm an accessories person. I have you know, 200 pairs of shoes. I've got all the jewelry and handbags in the world. And that's, that's, something that I'm passionate about and so I think that's part of my process in getting here <laughs> that's that's definitely part of the game that I'm trying to uh exceed at next as well as my boot collection grows I got to get the accessory collection growing too for oh, sure yeah, absolutely 
How about the boot making process for you? We're talking a lot about leathers and colors, but what is your favorite process when making a pair of boots? I, there are very few people who would agree with me. I love inseaming. I think inseaming is, well, it's a process that no one knows exists. Yeah, it's can you break it down for, for that us? You would never see it. It's kind of hard without an example, but you know, you've got your boot lasted. So you have your leather pulled around your last and then you need something to hold that leather on and then something to attach your sole to and high quality footwear, dress shoes, cowboy boots, whatever is going to have a welt on it so you can replace the sole easily. And so we'll flip our boot upside down. And so you kind of sew, well, you sew through the insole into a welt, which adds this little strip, and then you sew your sole onto that piece. And I feel for some reason like it's super intimate and special, and I don't know why. And the first time, the first time I made a pair of shoes, I, we didn't, we were working with the tools we had. We didn't have a full shoe shop to work with. And so inseaming, and you inseam an entire pair of shoes, whereas cowboy boots, you generally just do half to three quarters. And it took me 12 hours to inseam my first pair of shoes. And I had tendonitis for a month. And so I hated it. And most people hate it. And once I started making cowboy boots, it's so much easier with a few different tools and some different processes and the fact that it's half. And so I love it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very alone in that. <laughs> yeah, but definitely. Okay. When I talk to other boot makers, they hate that part of it. Everyone hates <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> So what about the process besides for it being half the work? Cause you're only doing the front part is so much easier on boots than shoes. Um, it, it's not the difference between those two. It's okay. was the difference in, in the tools that I have now that I didn't oh, have okay. then. And so I have more specialized tools. I have a line finisher. The first pair of shoes I made, we were, mostly sanding or carving by hand. And most shoemakers do almost all of their processes by hand, whereas bootmakers incorporate more machinery, though it's vintage machinery. And I don't think one way is better than the other. I think it's a time commitment mostly is the difference. And there are a few of those hand, hand done things from building shoes that I do incorporate into boot making because I feel more comfortable doing it by hand. There's less potential for disaster, I guess, if I'm doing it by hand instead of have my line finisher on and destroy everything. So yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt. <laughs> Speaking of the difficulty, we just had a question from Juan who asks, uh, like, I guess, how difficult is it to make a pair of boots, but also how how many pairs are possible to make in a week? Um, it is really difficult to make a pair of boots. <laughs> it's funny because I participate in, well, I, I'm a voyeur in a lot of online forums. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't want to pay for a pair of boots, so I'll just make some. And I'm seven years in, I don't know, 
$30,000 in uh, and a lot of crying, some injuries, <laughs> traveling. And I, you know, am just getting started. And maybe in 10 years, I'll feel better about my work, but I'm just getting started. So it is not easy to make a pair of boots. And I think a lot of people make a pair of boots and realize that it is a terrible way to make a living. And there's those of us who are just totally fascinated by it and obsessed. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about something I could have done differently or something I will do differently. Um, so yeah, there are lots of great teachers who take on students for two week classes. If it's something that one wants to try, I highly recommend it. Uh, and it's a great way to spend, have a working vacation. And uh, now I can't remember the second part of that question. <laughs> How many can you make in a week? I'm, oh, I'm guessing it's sort of a small number. <laughs> it's yeah. So I am making boots part time. So my goal is one a month to two months, probably. And the folks who are making boots full time by themselves, if everything goes perfectly, you can make one a week and you know there's some boots that are going to take 100 hours or more or you have to start over or there's some sort of disaster or a machine breaks or whatever but it's not you know i would say 40 hours at a minimum if you're making a, a good boot and it can the sky is the limit from there so um, again, it's not a fast process or an easy process. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, I can only imagine all of the patience needed to do that, which I'm sure you also have learned from your time uh, fly fishing. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or my, even making flies. Right. My mentor is uh, a great guy. He's got four kids and their rules in the boot shop, which often all six of them and I are in the boot shop and the rules are no bleeding and no crying in the boot shop. And that applies whether you are three or 70. <laughs> and I think that it's really important when you're having a hard day to leave. Um, I think it's really important if you have an injury to leave, just stop when you can and come back when you're ready. It's, you have to be in a really specific mindset. All of my friends want to always come over to my shop. I'm like, well, I'm working. They're like, yeah, yeah. That's why I want to come. I'm like, well, no, like I'm in my brain and a hundred and you know, 200% focused on what I'm doing right now. And it's not a time to chit chat or watch TV or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that might just be me, but it's, it's very serious work. And that's why I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it seems like it's gotta be something that you can really get in the zone for and just cruise. Mm -hmm. I got a question about uh, like one of my curiosities whenever I'm talking with bootmakers is the leather stacked heel. And I'm wondering why is that the best option for cowboy boots and what's the history behind using the leather as the material for the heel rather than anything else? Uh, so when you sent me that question, I kind of freaked out because I like to know things and I don't know 
that I know things, but I did a little <laughs> research and I was think I was thinking I had kind of the right history. And I'm sure someone who's been making boots for a lot longer and knows a lot more about boot making history could answer it better. But the first thing that came to mind was that, you know, cowboy boots are uniquely American, but they were based on riding boots that I assume came from the Moors coming to Spain. And just doing a 10 minute Google search this morning, I don't know that I'm entirely right, but I don't know if I'm wrong in that there was a pair of boots found in Spain that are 15,000 years old. And uh, Egyptians wore boots, you know, three, four, five, 8,000 years ago. And they're leather because leather was available. Leather is something that's always existed. There have always been cows or horses or other animals that you can tan and it's durable. Leather soaks up oil and water and, you know, expands and contracts naturally. I have a pair of wooden platforms made by one of my shoe teachers, for example, and they're great shoes, but they don't expand and contract like leather does. And Uh they crack because I live in the desert and they, you know, something falls off or whatever. And leather is really durable. And I'm not sure that there's anything that could replace that because it's a lot more durable than plastic, I think. And it's a lot more comfortable. And I know some hippy dippy people like maybe in Sedona and I think leather, you know, having a physical connection to the ground is important in maintaining your energy, whether you believe in that or not. And, you know, leather, leather boots kind of maintain that. And I, you know, people have crepe soles or plastic heels or whatever on their boots and it's just not as durable. So I don't know if there's been any improvement upon leather in 15,000 years. So that's my answer. I don't know if it's right, but (laughs) that was an epic answer. Thank (laughs) you for that. I always am curious about why the, why the leather stack heel, but that makes so much sense for durability since it can Uh, expand and contract without cracking uh, as much as some other materials. And I knew that it was uh, a highly durable material, but I didn't know that it could last 15,000 years durable. That is new to me. Jeez. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And so if you look at European footwear that, you know, there are, well, if you look at archaeological digs, Leather footwear is a lot more likely to exist rather than a kind of grass or cellulose-based footwear like the ancestral Puebloans would be wearing in the Southwest or something. And so leather is just durable and and has been forever. <laughs> Love it. And uh, speaking of the leather and the uh, quality We also had a question from Dan here that kind of rolls into mine. Uh, Dan asks uh, what you would recommend for somebody just getting into boots. And I want to kind of roll that into a question that I have as well, um, is that why somebody should consider buying custom boots rather than spending thousands of dollars on a fancy brand? Um, Because it seems like with the same budget, you could get custom boots or 
say like a Lucchese classic, uh, maybe a little, maybe an exotic, but do you want to trade the exotic look for a better fit? Where do you come in on, on this? Yeah, I think that off the shelf boots are fine. Uh, And my example will be with a working cowboy. If you, you know, you can get a working cowboy boot for a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, a custom working cowboy boot, if you find the right maker. And with that, you're going to get something that fits. You're going to get something that's made out of high quality materials and you're going to get something that can be resold two, three, four times. And so, you know, an off the shelf, a two to $500 boot off the shelf, you're going to get six months to a year out of as a working cowboy. It's going to probably have some cardboard components, some plastic components. Um, the leather isn't going to be high quality. It could be even, um, I think it's called engineered leather where it's just like sawdust glued together. The bonded so like leather, leather. Yeah. Yes, bonded leather. And so you're going to get something that you're going to have to replace all the time and it's not going to feel good and it's not going to look as good. So th- that's my reason to send someone to a custom boot maker. And, you know, there's there are some, I think there are some better low... It, uh, less expensive off-the-shelf cowboy boots now than there were a few years ago um but you're just not going to get the components and you're not going to get a fit and you can get a custom boot at a reasonable price if you find the right boot maker um west Shugart in nashville is not gonna make you a thousand dollar work boot but that's not what you go to him for you go to him for something crazy you go you find well like my mentor for example he is a cowboy and he likes to make boots for working cowboys and so you go to someone like that who specializes in it and you're going to get a really top-notch high quality boot that fulfills your needs and you're going to have for a long time Mm -hmm. uh huge Huge drop name drop there with Wes. If anybody's interested in watching that, definitely go through the Ask the Bootmakers because that was one of my favorites as well. Wes is amazing. He's He's one of the people I was supposed to go spend some time with this year. And I think I was supposed to go see him on um, like March 20th or something and March 16th my community shut down. We were one of the first COVID hotspots. And Mm -hmm uh my my business closed and yeah so i've been at home ever since but <laughs> yeah he's 2020 damn 2020 2020 yeah made some nice boots instead <laughs> hey that's not bad yeah <laughs> speaking of 2020 um what do you find being your biggest struggle in your boot making career whether that may be a process in the boot making itself or in the, I don't know, marketing, what is your, what is the biggest struggle you're facing right now as a bootman? Um, well, I guess I'll comment on, on marketing first. Um, a lot of people are concerned. I think now is a better time than ever for custom bootmakers to exist. I think that 2020, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people who can afford custom boots who are better off than they were at the beginning of the year. 
And I think the fight against corporate America and choosing to buy something handmade by a real person is stronger than ever. And so I think it's a really good time to be a custom bootmaker. Um, how long do you have? Cause I could talk about my bootmaking struggles till the Let's go. come home. <laughs> uh, I wanna know more. I wanna get better every day. There's always a problem. I think I don't, I don't necessarily say it's a struggle, but a process is I'm always trying to add that one more tool or get a new piece of equipment or a different piece of equipment that better suits my, my process. And I guess that's probably a lifelong pursuit as well. And uh, probably a, a big struggle for me is that I live in a very wealthy community. And so I have had a couple of different workshops. Space is really expensive. And I guess no one really has their dream workshop, but I'd like to have a different workshop, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm working towards that and it might be a couple more years, but that's something that I'm, I'm always working towards. Um, but yeah, I guess probably number one is always the pursuit of knowledge. I, I want to know more. I want to be better. And I feel like with anything, you learn how to do something and you're doing great. And then there's this huge dip in your confidence and your knowledge and that you you know enough to know that you don't know anything and i am deep in that in 2020 and the so, imposter syndrome yes totally so i am i am deep in that and i'll do something that i feel really good about and have the highest high and then i'll have the lowest low the next day and you know that's part of life and i'm willing to take that on because i'm really passionate about bootmaking. So yeah. I've, I've felt the same thing, especially this year as a content creator, releasing different kinds of music, releasing kinds of different kinds of videos, like just trying a whole bunch of different things and being like, is this really the route that I want to go? And it'd be mm -hmm. like, oh, should I delete this video? I'm not sure about this, but I haven't done any of that yet. So I feel like totally. it's all just well, a learning process. Yeah. And specific to you, like the way mm -hmm. everyone has cons consumes in 2020 has changed mm -hmm. and you whatever it is whether it's it's your content or a pair of boots or a pair of skis that I might be selling and it's it's all changed and we're all on the struggle bus I think a little bit <laughs> yep but we don't learn unless we are on that struggle right. bus uh, totally totally we'll survive <laughs> exactly and thrive speaking of thriving and you wanting to get into a bigger workshop at some point, what are some of the things in your career that you're most looking forward to as you grow as a bootmaker? Um, so what I'm most excited about is that in about three years, I plan to go full-time as a bootmaker. And Congrats. thank you. That's something that is a family process. My husband is amazingly supportive and the most positive person I know. We are in a process of purchasing a, a 
a ski and bike shop in our community. And so we're about halfway through that process and he works there and I work for a nonprofit and, you know, we're, we work really hard to, to make the life we want. And we're kind of narrowing down to in about two and a half years, we will own this, own this ski shop. And that will allow me the opportunity to leave my day job and focus on boot making entirely. I'm a Capricorn and so I'm super conservative in my decision-making and really thorough in my decision-making. And so this is a many year process, but I also feel like it's great because it will have allowed me a lot of years to grow my skills and learn more and improve. And I feel like I'll be ready to go and I'll be 40 when that happens and that's a really good time to make change and lots of time left too yes lots of time left that's i'll be working for you know another 30 years probably so i think it'll be a really good time and that's i'm feeling hopeful about it and uh hopefully i can get back on the education wagon next year and go visit some folks and, and improve my craft That is awesome. I'm super excited for you. And thank you for taking all this time with me today. I'm wondering if you can sort of close this out by giving people, you know, how to contact you if they are looking to get some boots from you and what that ordering process looks like. Awesome. So I'm on Instagram as the Sandhill, like Sandhill Crane. And my website is morganbookert.com, B-U-C-K-E-R-T. And you can find me through there. And my process, I have to measure you in person. And I find myself in various places throughout the West and sometimes on the East Coast. So next year, maybe I'll get back um, in the truck and get traveling again. But it's really easy to find me if you're in Texas. I am there pretty regularly, theoretically, and uh, in the West and measure you up. And it's a really intimate process to order boots. It's a really close connection, learning what preferences are and actually physically touching your feet, which is kind of weird but uh (laughs) but it's great and so yeah it's it's a really personal process for me so I like to spend some time with with my clients so yeah thank you so much for having me awesome thank you for being here and to everybody who uh couldn't remember or thinking about how to spell those things all the links to those will be in the description of this video as well follow Morgan on Instagram and definitely check out her website. Thank you so much again for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm sure you brought a lot of value to a lot of people. I certainly learned a lot and I know a lot of people watching and listening did too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.